We're very excited. We're joined by Aislinn Koenig. Aislinn, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very cool. So, you know, let, let's go back to the very beginning. When, when you got started with basketball, was it basketball first? Was it other sports? What did you get going with and, and kind of where were you when that was happening? And, and kind of give us the beginning story. Um, well, actually, I played soccer first. And I like to think I was pretty good, but I'm pretty sure I was just like taller and had longer legs than everyone. So I just like boot it as far as I could and like outrun everyone. Um, so when skills started to get involved, I very quickly became uninterested and kind of transitioned into my family's sport of basketball. Everyone in my family played basically. My grandfather still plays. So it was kind of just like a natural transition into um that sport and I haven't come, gone back since and I think my parents are pretty happy because they don't have to sit out in the rain anymore. Yeah no kidding I think that's one of the first thing parents are trying to do is sabotage soccer uh, especially in British Columbia. So you got involved with basketball at a young age. Do you remember how old you were? Uh, 12 was when I started like actually playing seriously. Okay and then and then so what's that like? Your dad, your dad got you going, your mom got you going. You come from a basketball family. Both people are you know, certifiably basketball crazies, right? You know, like they're, they're in the basketball crazy people category, which, you know, helps, obviously. <laughs> um, so where, where, what, what, what was the first step and kind of what was that like? So originally I had just started playing basketball because um, it was what my family did and that was the natural next sport. And I remember in my first game, like I was, because I'd been watching it for so long, I was pretty good, but there's like this really funny story of, um, I'm 12 years old, I have front bangs, and I'm wearing like Converse weapons, were my very first basketball shoe, uh, the Larry Bird edition, so they're black, white, and green, and I'm going there, and the girl's out of bounds, and my mom had told me, she's like, when somebody just holds the ball in front of you, take it, and so we're at this little Steve Nash league, and this girl's out of bounds looking for a pass, and she held it out like this. And I was like, well, I was told if it was sitting in front to take it. So I took it. And then it was underneath the basket, so I did a layup. And the ref was so confused as to what just happened. He didn't say anything. We got the points. Um, but, you know, I didn't really, <laughs> it didn't really get serious until um, the end of that year when I was fairly good, not as good as a 12-year-old really can be, and my dad sat me down. He was like, listen, um, you know, we're not going to pay for your college. It's just not, we're, like, we just don't want to, so, like, you have a choice. Either you're going to be really, really good in school, and you're going to get a scholarship, or you're going to work really hard and save up money and pay for it yourself the same way we did, or you're going to be really good at basketball, and seeming as though I didn't really like school all that much like I enjoyed school but didn't really like it and nobody wants a job no. <laughs> um I went with the the obvious answer and that was to play basketball and go for a scholarship you know what the funny thing so is, a that lot was of kind people... of how I started sorry go, go ahead sorry go ahead no that's just kind of how I started to take it seriously no I love that and you know it's funny because it takes a certain level of self-awareness to do that because a lot of kids get jobs when they're in high school for no reason it's like it's a cool thing to do and it's like well you know a basketball scholarship for you know you specifically was you know oh you know hundreds of thousands of dollars whereas there's no job you could have gotten in high school that would have paid you you know 10 percent of that so it doesn't really i don't understand the math that people are doing in their heads but that's a different story for another time so you you are 12 you you 
your dad tells you essentially you're on your own, figure it out. Now you've decided, okay, I guess I better start taking this seriously, but you also got to love it a little bit. Um, talk about kind of growing your love for the game and what that's like. Well, it's funny you say I was on my own and like in my head as a 12 year old, I'm like, yeah, I am on my own. I'm going to do this all by myself. But like my parents dropped like five fifty thousand dollars on my basketball. So, I mean, uh, it's that little, that craziness and really benefited me. I mean, I wasn't really on my own as much as my younger self would like to say I did it all by myself. Um, yeah, <laughs> they definitely exactly. were the driving force behind that. Um, but you know, I had always loved basketball, just being around it, watching it. Um, my dad coached at uh, UFV, and my family had just been playing forever. My uncle played at UFV while my dad coached. So um, just being around it, I really loved the game from the very beginning. Like some of my very first memories are of me being in the gym with my family. So um, the love was already there. Now the skill was something that we really had to work on. I mean, I remember being in gyms and for an hour straight, I was only allowed to do left-hand layups. It was, you're just gonna continue to do left-hand layups until um, until you get 10 in a row and you don't miss. And, you know, now that seems pretty silly because, you know, I'm more developed, I'm a better player, but back then it took me an hour. So, um, you know, it was a long process of developing the game and I think the love that I had already had established before from being around it really helped me buy into that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Bruce Langford always tells stories about Kim Smith, same, just exactly what you just said. Like, okay, she couldn't do it behind the back, so she literally did it for two days. And then it was like, she could do it now. And so she would just find another thing. And so, you know, it takes a, a rare breed to actually have that focus to do it for an hour. Like as a coach, you know, I'm trying to keep kids motivated for like seven minutes. If I can get seven minutes, we're going to be okay. So having an hour is pretty good. So anyway, you come, did you, where, where'd you grow up? Were you in Vancouver the whole time or did you come to Vancouver later on? Um, so my family had traveled a lot. Um, I was born in Vancouver. I then lived in like the lower mainland for a while, then lived in Prince George up north for a while, and then um, came back to the lower mainland, <laughs> uh, spent a year in the United States, my dad's work put him there, and then came back and ended up at Brookswood. So it was a little bit of everywhere, but the majority of my life has been spent like in the lower mainland. You know, I saw with Neil Brown the other day about uh, when you guys ended up at Brookside, but I remember coaching you against you, sorry, not coaching you. I was coaching against you when you were at Charles Best. And I remember we had a pretty good junior team and you were playing juniors at grade eight. And yeah. we ended up having to double team you the, the entire second half of the game because we were going to lose. And so it's funny that you're looking back, you're like, oh, I was no good. But it's like, well, we don't double many grade eights at the junior level. So <laughs> <laughs> you weren't that bad. So, so anyway, so, you know, one of the things that, you guys have always taken very seriously is your off-season training. So dealing, we'll get to Brooks in a second, but you, you started going off-season, traveling, trips, all that stuff just before you got to Brooks, correct? What was that like, the first experience playing against really tough competition? Um, because like you said, my parents are super dedicated. I was really lucky that when they saw that there wasn't a team that was playing the type of caliber games that they wanted me to play to develop, they decided to go well held with it like we're just gonna build a team and um so my entire life like they just kind of they built teams and they we went and we played and 
the very first year um, was kind of crazy. So we had all these girls who had never like played in the U.S. before. A lot of those girls who actually were on the Charles Best team uh, with me, like Jay Rampuri, um, Rachel, and all those girls. Um, they were there, and Anna Evans. They were all there with me. And, um, you know, we were going across, and I remember this so vividly. We had, like, those mesh um, reversibles, like the type that you use for practice. And that was our our game jerseys. And we walked into these gyms, and people, like, had, like, these brand new, like, single-sided, like, Adidas and Nike jerseys. And we were looking around, like, we're going to get smacked. <laughs> like, like all these girls all have, like, brand new Nikes on and all of this stuff. And we, at, and fortunately, the type of development we had put on in before going into those tournaments was good enough that we actually were winning quite a few games. And it was really funny because all the teams used to talk about us. They're like, those are the scrubs, but they're good. <laughs> so, like, I have, like, friends that knew me back then um, from playing against us in those tournaments who I've met back again in college who are like, you guys looked so bad. You had front bangs and, like, braces. And, like, you guys were just, like, such scrubs. And you beat us by, like, 20. And it's just really funny because I think that um, experience of being able to play is so important to the development of players because if you're playing the same people all the time and not competing against the people you're going for, especially in the sense of scholarships, how are you getting better? And I think without that, I definitely wouldn't be where I am today. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I, the thing I love about basketball is that it's a, it's a, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. When you step on the court, you can either play or you can't play. And it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter if you're trying to straighten your teeth or not trying to straighten your teeth. If you can play, <laughs> you can play. And if you can't, you got to go somewhere else. And so, you know, I think, I think, there's something to be said about just, you know, getting in there and having that mentality, that underdog mentality, because, you know, you got to figure it out. So anyway, you end up going to Brookswood in grade nine. Obviously, they have a very good program for a long period of time. They, they've had a lot of dedicated people that have worked at it for, for years, national team players, junior national team players, all, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, as a grade nine, What's it like getting to Brookswood and seeing a culture where people are actually in the gym already? You're not the one trying to get people to go to the gym, but they're already there. Well, actually, I went there in grade 10. I played uh, a year of high school basketball in the States. So, oh, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's people forget that. Like half of my friends like don't know that like I went to the States and the other half think I'm American. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's the reason I ended up going to Brookswood was really because of that factor um you know there, there was a lot of options for where I could go and it really came down to the fact that the gym was open all the time um coach brown uh huge part of my development huge part of my success simply because he was willing to be there every morning at six in the morning and open the gym and to be there late and you know it brought me like, I would be at school from 7 a.m. for early workouts all the way down to, like, 9 p.m. after practice because I would, like, work volleyball games and stuff in between. And he would come and bring all of the girls, like, snacks and lunches and stuff, basically, to make sure that we were fueled. And just, like, his love and dedication for the game and to his players was really why I ended up choosing there. So being able to be in that situation where everybody wanted to be in the gym um, was – super exciting and I think that's why we were able to do uh what we did in those three years 
Yeah, so obviously three original championships. Um, talk about what it was like winning the first one, because I, I would imagine that probably holds a special place in your heart. Uh, yeah, I think um, – so that provincial championship, we played Oak Bay, I believe, in the final. And we had played them as our very first game in the beginning of the season, and we had lost. And I had had, like, a calf cramp, and I was, like, on the side, like, rolling out that game. And I remember, like – feeling really disappointed because we had prepared we had been working so and there was a lot of uh, energy around me being there so we had lost that game and then we come back into the um, final and we're playing them again it's on the same floor it's like a rematch and um, you know it was just a really special moment being able to do what we had set out to do in the beginning it was kind of a manifestation from the beginning of we're going to win another provincial championship. This is what we're going to do. And being able to be a part of that team who I walked on and they accepted me immediately. There was a lot of uh, senior players on that team with Jesse Brown and um, that whole group was really special because automatically they accepted me and it became a family and home-like. So just being able to start that legacy in such a good spot with such amazing people was really um, special to me. Yeah, absolutely. So you finish, you continue your high school career. You end up winning a couple more. You, you got a whole bunch of kids that go to play university. The 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 train keeps going. Talk about um, what it's like to start thinking about where you want to go to university and and how you end up at North Carolina State. Because you know, Barry, I'm probably one of the few people in British Columbia that's actually been to North Carolina State. I went for a football game. It's a really cool spot. I mean, I really enjoyed going out there, but it's not a natural fit for somebody from Langley to end up in North Carolina State. So kind of what was your thought process on what you were looking for and how you ended up figuring out that was the right spot for you? So, um, you know, as a kid from BC, uh, getting recruited by a bunch of big schools is mind-blowing. Like, uh, you know, and getting recruited by over 40 of them is unimaginable I mean I remember my very first turn down was Gonzaga they were my first call where I talked to the coach and I told them no and you know as a Canadian Gonzaga is like the pinnacle like all of the great BC kids like end up going there and I remember I was on the phone I'm like am I doing this right <laughs> like crying on the phone because like I felt like so like distraught that I was turning down this because this is something people dream about like Gonzaga calling and I I only had two calls with them and I was like you know this isn't the place for me and afterwards I think I was alone my family wasn't around and I just cried like I but you know it got easier after then but um well, as I far as that, hold on a second I, I want I want to cut in there for a sec I, I think overcoming some fear and some obstacles is what makes you stronger right so you know, that first one was scary, and then obviously it got, it got a lot easier. So, so you know, that's part of the process. I think people need to understand that. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a little challenging. And, it, and it's also complimentary that you have so many people that want you. So you kind of got to take it all in strides. Sorry, continue. Yeah, I mean, also, like, I think um, understanding where you're supposed to fit and everything and, and also valuing those offers, even though they're not the place you want to are going to end up I think lots of people get caught up in oh I'm too good for this I'm too good for that but for me a big part of it was just feeling um you know honored every single time somebody was doing that I think that played a big part in my choices further down the line um and then so as far as getting to NC State um I had narrowed my list down and it I had only taken two 
officials and one was to Stanford, which was one of my dream schools ever since uh, I was little. It's my dream. And that's, that's my dream school, by the way. Sorry. They would never yeah, I mean, it's that. beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, beautiful, great weather. I took my official there, and um, it was amazing. I mean, blown away. I was everything, and everything seemed perfect. I mean, you go there, and it's just everybody's on bikes, and the weather's beautiful, and the campus is huge, and the buildings are gorgeous and stuff. And I was like, I was sitting in my um, hotel room with my mom, and I had never ordered room service before, and. I, and they and the coaches said don't feel free to order room service so we ordered like a bunch <laughs> and it delivered and my mom was like over at the thing and she was like look like the chocolate cake is here and all this stuff and she's looking and then she turned and I hadn't come up to the tray yet and she turned around and looked at me and I was crying and I know I sound like I cry a lot but I really don't <laughs> um I was crying and she goes what's wrong like what and I was like mom we made it we're here and like I'm getting like a little bit teary-eyed thinking about it again because it's something that we had worked towards for so long and this was my dream school. And, you know, we had a really good moment and then we went and ate the chocolate cake. Um, but I left there thinking, there's no way NC State's going to beat this. And the funny thing is when NC State first sent me a letter, I had no idea who NC State was. I mean, we don't get their coverage in BC. So I heard NC State and I know of UNC and I knew of Wake Forest and Duke because, you know, obviously the men's side of that game is projected everywhere. But I didn't know NC State. And when I first saw NC State, I actually was like, who are they division two? Like I was confused. And my dad was like, no, they're actually really good. And I was like, oh, wow. And it's funny that it progressed from that to them eventually being the place I chose. And I went on that official and with, I only spent um, to, the disappointment of Coach Moore, I only spent uh, like 36 hours there as opposed to 48. I had to get back to school, take exams and stuff. Um, but I got on campus and within hours of being there, I knew this was the place I was supposed to be. Um, the campus is beautiful. The city is beautiful, but the people there are just amazing. And the team and the coaches really made it feel like home. And you know, I'm an adventurous person and I like being far away from home. So that was, but I also wanted some of that comfort and they definitely gave that to me. So, um, I went home, tried to do my due diligence, got a big, uh, like notebook and wrote out my pros and cons. And I was sitting there and I was writing them out and NC State's pros just kept going and going and going. And my dad comes up behind me and he goes, I don't know why you're wasting your time you already know where you're supposed to be. And I looked at him and I looked at my thing and I crumpled it up. I said, you know, what? you're right. And so I called coach Moore right there and I committed. And, you know, it was the start of one of the most amazing journeys of my entire life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, de definitely like, you know, being from British Columbia, it, it, people don't really follow the ACC. It's not like something you're thinking like, oh, what's going on in the ACC right now? We're a Pac-12 area, if we are any area. Um, and we're not really even a Pac-12 area, but you, you kind of get to, to understand it. I, you know, my buddy, I have some friends in North Carolina, so I've been there a few times. It's a, it's a great, the Southern hospitality is fantastic. The area is gorgeous. Campus itself is very nice. The football stadium is really cool. The basketball arena is cool. Like I enjoyed the whole thing when I was there. I got to see a lot of stuff. And then you're also next door to all the other big schools in the area. So it's, it's a really cool spot. So you, you graduate from high school, you decide North Carolina State is the place to be for you. You go down there freshman year. 
serious jump. Talk about the difference between what 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 it was like and then your first year and that first few months what that what that experience is like. Um so from my high school I was used to being the person. Um you know take all the shots, get all the accolades, do all those things. And I came to NC State and I had four very good seniors on the team who were starting ahead of me. And um you know, I desperately wanted to be part of the starting group, but also understood that, like, for the chemistry of the team, for the overall success of the team, I had to take a step back and be the sixth man. And that was something that I, um, at first, didn't deal with very well. Uh, I worked myself into an injury that ended up, uh, you know, pulling my season short. But... Um, you know, I was one of those kids who, like, wanted to work. My my thing is be the best player so that coach doesn't have a choice but to play you. Whether or not he likes you, whether or not uh, the teammates like you, if you're the best player every time you step on the floor, he has no choice but to play you. And I got into my head that I just needed to be more fit, and I need to do this, I need to do that, and um, that is the na the naivety of being young and not understanding taking care of your body. So I used to go to our morning practices, practice, weight lift, do our conditioning with the team, go through class all day, go back to the gym, get shots up, come back, and at night, I would jump on the treadmill and run two miles as fast as I could. And um, I ended up stress fracturing my foot. And on my, it's a Jones fracture. Um, it's on the outside of my foot. And I then another, silly 18 year old decision decided I was going to play on it. Um, you know, sitting out for a stress fracture would have been three weeks probably of healing. And by the time I broke it at Wake Forest and practiced for a game, it was a two, at least a two month uh, recovery. So kind of the biggest jump for me, especially in that role as a freshman was definitely understanding um, managing my body and taking care of it. Not so much the play. I was already playing against very good kids in the AU circuit and all of that. It was just maturing as a person more so than anything. Yeah, you know what? And I think there's there's a little bit of both, right? So a lot of kids go to university and they're too busy with all the other stuff and they don't even spend enough time to get to the spot. And you kind of took it to the other extreme and you went over the board, right? And so understanding, listening to your body, which is important, you have to do that. And then also understanding there's steps that you got to take and you can't jump too many steps. You got to kind of slowly drag it out and, and figure it out. So you're out for the longest period, probably in your career. I mean, you never really had major injuries. So that, that's a, that's a big deal. You start, you start uh, getting better and, and working out. Did you, did you spend the summer there your first summer? Um, I, yeah, but I spent the first part of summer. We have two summer sessions. The second one is mandatory, but the first one is, um, is optional and we all opt to take classes during that time anyway so we get money um but for the first uh session i was there and then i went with team canada over to italy so what was that like uh, was that your first international experience no i had been playing with the canadian national team since i was 14. um i played on the u16 team when i was 14 in the fiba americas um didn't play a whole lot i was quite young but that was my first experience. This one uh, was my first Worlds, 
and we did some scrimmages in France and yeah, France. And then we came to Italy and we played in Italy and, um, you know, we made history there. We won first time ever that Canada has medaled at the junior worlds. And, um, that was just so amazing experience and a really good way to come back from the injury and start feeling my rhythm again. So you come in your second year and I would imagine your expectations for yourself are a lot higher. Uh, what's that like? Um, yeah, I mean, now I was starting, um, you know, our team had lost a major, we had lost four senior starters, um, which is, as anybody knows, very difficult because that they're really um, a steady force in a team. Like seniors have a big role to play in um, the direction of the team in their mindset and setting uh, the tone. So we were fairly young. We only had two seniors that year and um, I was playing 40 minutes a game. So kind of jumping from uh, playing about half the game and then coming from an injury to playing 40 minutes was a huge jump. And um, another scenario where, you know, I had to this time mature my body more. I had to be stronger. I had to be faster, condition more. Um, but obviously doing so in a way that uh, protected my body. You talk very glowingly about your coach. Talk about the relationship you have with your coach there and the coaching staff. Was the rest of your coaching staff the same the entire time you were there or did, was there a lot of movement? We had um, one turnover um, when I was there. We lost two coaches. Um, the people who recruited me, um, Gene Hill and Nikki West, ended up leaving. Coach Hill took a, a head coaching job at Georgia State and Coach Nikki is now at Charlotte. Um, they they were kind of the group that recruited me, but the next group that came in was Simon Harrison, Aaron Bath. And, um, you know, throughout the whole, they're all very different people, but throughout the whole time, like the culture that was built around those coaches and the way they cared about their players really spoke through on the way we played on the floor because we played really hard for our family. And I mean, uh, everybody on that coaching staff from the very beginning through the end had a huge part in the success of the team as a whole. So, so you're there when you, when you're experiencing all this, you're obviously going to the ACC tournament. You know, one of the things people don't realize who's in the ACC from where we're from. So you're talking North Carolina, you're talking Duke, you're talking Louisville, you're talking Syracuse. Like we're taught the, the most prestigious universities in all of basketball. Yeah. What, what's that like going to these fantastic buildings and these these epicenters of, of basketball kind of the shrines that we have of the sport and kind of playing in these places the awe never really wears off I mean especially as somebody who genuinely loves the game and all of its qualities um you walk into these arenas and every single time you get like that tingly feeling like like I'm really here like we're doing it and um you know I just think that that's something especially a kid like coming from BC you don't really have that experience very often obviously we do have sports and they are um we have very good teams but it's not that same culture and being able to come into these places where stadiums are packed like to the rim with fans screaming um for the players knowing the players by name um just being a part of that is really an amazing experience yeah, no, very cool. Um, and then also fill in the buildings. I mean, playing in front of full buildings for a girls basketball players isn't really something that happens very often. So being able to play that experience has got to be unbelievable. Now, you're going into your senior year, and 
you got to have pretty good expectations. But what was going to the ACC championship game and, and winning that, was that an actual goal that you guys had set up before the season started? Or was it kind of like something you were like, let's see how many wins we can get and kind of see what happens? No, that was absolutely a goal from the very beginning. I think, um, you know, two years in a row we lost in the semifinals. And we were ready for that chance. And every single talk we had, every single um, time that coach was bringing us in, he was pointing to the banners up in the wall, talking about his experiences and those things and his expectations. And um, that was something that we were working to from the very beginning of the first time we stepped on the court. It was, we won an ACC championship. And unfortunately, we missed out on the regular season one, which was also a goal for us that we talked about all the time. But uh, we definitely redeemed ourselves in the tournament. Well, talk, talk about missing your goal. You know, I think one of the things I, I want some girls to, to you know, learn from this interview is what it's like to not get what you actually want and then having to readjust and reformulate so that you can go get what you want. And so obviously you wanted to win the regular season. Who beat you? What, what ended up happening that caused that? And then what was the mentality like when you had to go get the, the, the tournament championship? Um, so Louisville ended up winning the regular season and we had been tied with them for, for a while. Uh, we had a couple of unfortunate losses against people we shouldn't have necessarily lost to very good teams, but um, we just weren't playing our best game. And, um, you know, I think being able to move on and pivot, like it's good to mourn the loss of, um, you know, a goal. You, it means that it was important. You should spend the time to really feel it so that you don't ever want to feel that again. And, you know, we can say a lot of things. We can say, well, preparation, all these things. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to move on and continue on the next thing or else you're going to get stuck. And I think that was a really good um, action on the part of our coaches of refocusing us um, because we were very disappointed. That was something that we, we wanted to win the regular season and the we want to win everything outright and um you know so people couldn't argue like well you won the ACC tournament but you didn't play so and so and all this stuff but but really being able to focus back up on the next goal the next thing that you need to do to accomplish to get to the next the point that you want to be at um and moving on is super important because if you dwell you're never going to achieve everything you want and a single setback doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world and so you go to the tournament. What's the path? Talk about the path and give me the rundown of the last couple of games that got you to what your goal was. Um, it just seems like a whirlwind. Like it almost seems like it didn't happen. I remember my most vivid memories aren't even really on the court. It's like sitting, like getting ready before the court. Um, you know, we had some very good showings um, against Virginia Tech and um, we ended up against Florida State in the final and Florida State is a very good team very talented lots of scores um, we had beat them earlier on uh, but you know they were ready they were we we have friends on the team we know that everybody is gunning for this and we're all super excited it's this like momentous moment and honestly like I barely remember the game like it we're in it and it's so fast-paced and everything's happening so quickly and then next thing you know, you're, uh, you're, the game is being called and you're under the bottom of a dog pile. So uh, I just think that um, that's kind of one of those things that all of your preparation came to a point 
and either you were going to come out on or you're going to come out on bottom and the, it, that's the fact that I don't really remember the game is a really good representation of that is because uh, what happened once the game started is out of our control so you have to just prepare for that moment as much as you can and I think that's what our team did really well throughout the season. Absolutely and then you know we've had we've had Kim Smith from BC win a bunch of awards uh, at high, high levels, but, we, but it's been, I mean, I mean, she's been on the national team for a really long time. It's been a long time since we've had another one from BC do something like that. So you're standing there and your team's celebrating, everybody's smiling. And then they tell you that you're the MVP of the tournament. What's that? That's gotta be, you know, that's gotta be overwhelming. What's that, what's that like? And, and what, what was going through your head when that happened? Well, I had had a really good tournament and I knew I was kind of part of it, but um, if you look at the video before, I'm looking at Elisa. I think Elisa is going to get it because uh, she had just had an amazing season and um, I hadn't scored a whole much more than her. Um, so, and then they call my name and everybody whips and turns at me and my head just drops. And like, I'm starting to cry because in my head, like that, I obviously, that's always a goal. Everybody wants to be the most valuable player, but in that moment, it was just overwhelming. And, um, you know, all of that work that I had put up in the gym up to that point really um, showed itself in that tournament. And, you know, I had had, I started the season off, um, before season even started, I was on the list for a bunch of awards. I was uh preseason all ACC all of these things and I started off my season and that was like a real big crash like quick like I went three games without hitting a three um you know everybody was expecting so much from me I was expected to um to do the NC State's all-time three-point record I was supposed to uh be a finalist on the shooting guard of the year award all of these things and be a first team all ACC and it was really difficult like that beginning of the season when I just wasn't playing well. I don't I, like I was preparing, I was practicing, I was doing all those things. And I think it was just like all of the rigidity was holding me back. And so from going from that really high to really low and then like be, finishing it off with that MVP was, um, was really surreal and was kind of like a really good reward for like, you know, sticking to it and not giving up on myself. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's a huge deal. So you, you finish, you you win the MVP, your team's ready to go, you're ready to go to the NCAA tournament. Internally, what are your goals for the NCAA tournament? Did you guys talk about actually trying to win the championship or were you like, let's make it to the final four? Like, what were the what were the internal goals that you guys had set? Um, you know, same as the ACC tournament, like we wanted to get to a final four. I mean, focus, we like to say we have um, – four seasons, you know, preseason, regular season, ACC tournament, and then NCAA tournament. So we like to focus at one season at a time. And um, so we did talk about, we're like, we want to win a championship. We want to get to a final four. This is our year. We got to get over that sweet 16 hump we've hit two years in a row. Um, that was something we were really ready to do. And I think after winning the ACC championship, it felt really real for the first time like this is a we really have a shot we're going to be a one or two seed we really have a shot of you know making it all the way to the championship this is our chance this is our year and then to have it kind of snuffed out um at, right as we go into our first practice to prepare for it um was really heartbreaking yeah for sure so you have to regroup obviously the season's ended and then you got to decide where you, you know you're hoping to get drafted in the WNBA that doesn't happen 
you've got to now find somewhere to play in, in Europe. What's your thought process of, of where you want to go? What are you looking for? What are, what are the things that are kind of ruminating for you? Well, after the WNBA draft happened and my name wasn't called, uh, we were very disappointed. I mean, same thing, mourning the loss of that goal um, and then moving on. It was like, pivot, we need to find a way to get back to this point for next year. Um, you know, we can, again, the same thing as with the regular season, we can sit and go, well, if there was an ACC, if there was an NCAA championship, like, and you had gone all the way, would you have been drafted if? you know, all those things. And uh, it's so easy to get caught up in all of that. It's so easy to, you know, say, well, the world just hates me. And it was like, there was no way it was going to happen anyways. But for me, I took a walk um, after the draft ended by myself and in due fashion, it started to rain um, like a movie. And, you know, I had my little moments and then, you know, I flipped a switch and I was like, okay, what's next? We need to move on. And what was really next is finding a position for me to play and a team in Europe for me to play for that was going to enable me to get back to the WNBA. I mean, that is the ultimate goal. Obviously, um, overseas, you can make your money, you can do all those things. But as somebody who um, wants to be the best player I can possibly be, that is one of the pinnacles outside of the Olympics. So, you know, working with my agent, talking about it, uh, COVID-19 has really messed a bunch of stuff up. There's not as many jobs. Some leagues are not playing. Lots of teams have disbanded. So I had an offer to play for Elphick Freiburg in Switzerland. And this is the top team in Switzerland. They play in Euro Cup. They're the only Swiss team, I believe, that is playing in Euro Cup. Um, great place, really reliable paying, and a great opportunity for me to play a lot of minutes and develop my game and showcase myself in a new view for the WNBA. And, um, you know, may, I, we're talk, I was talking with my agent and we just decided, you know what, this is where we should go. This is what needs to be the next step. So um, in mid-August, I get to head to Switzerland and start my next journey. You know what, I think it's gonna be a blessing in disguise. A lot of, uh, what, what hasn't, I actually follow WNBA because we actually uh, are pretty closely affiliated with a bunch of teams in the ticketing space. and a lot of rookies aren't going to get a shot to play on the team. They're not going to make it through training camp. They're not going to make it on the teams. They're going to have a late start at something that you're already getting a head start on. I think you're going to see very few rookies actually have an opportunity to play on rosters this year. And there's going to be a lot of people that will just be like, yeah, we had her last year come with us. And so they'll, I think that's what personally is going to happen. And I think having this, this head start and knowing where you're going to go and having that chip on your shoulder will actually benefit you in the long run, in my, my personal opinion. But we'll see. I mean, realistically, the, the path to – your goals is, you know, one of the things I've learned from doing these interviews, I've, I've, we're like over 40 now, is that it's never, it's never like this. It, it never just goes like this. It's got to go here. It's got to go there. Sometimes it goes there. Sometimes it even goes backwards. And so for you, I think it's going to be exciting to see the path to take. But also, I think the part of the journey, you're going to get an opportunity to go to Europe. You're going to get to see a bunch of new places that you've never seen before. You're going to get to live in a new experience that you've never had before. It's definitely not North Carolina, that's for sure. And, and you're going to... Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you know kind of see the world a little bit and kind of refresh yourself and then be, be ready to come back and, and achieve your goal. WNBA is very cyclical. I mean, you know, watching Nile firsthand, 
seeing her journey. She started in a terrible league and she had to work her way up through every league. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like she's better than that. She shouldn't be in that league. She actually started in Switzerland as well. Yeah. But she started in the shitty part of Switzerland. <laughs> she didn't start in the top level. So she started, you know, on a terrible team and a terrible league and slowly had to build her way up to get to where she, she was on, on a WNBA roster. So that's got that, that'll be pretty cool. So you're going over there, you're going there in August. If you could, one of the things I've been asking people is if you go back and give young Ace and Conan, you're obviously very young still, but let's say you go back and give a younger version of yourself some advice. Well, what would be some of the things you would kind of like, hey, hey, young buck, listen to this one. I got something for you. Um, I think probably to myself, but also everyone is the distractions aren't worth it. I think it's really easy to get caught up in what you have to sacrifice as opposed to um, what your goals are. And, you know, thinking like, well, it's not going to hurt me that bad. And, oh, it's not going to hold me back that bad. And, uh, well, maybe I won't do it today because uh, I'd rather do this. Um, and in the moment, you know, it's self-indulgent and it feels pretty good. But when you're sitting, watching a screen, waiting for your name to be called and it doesn't get called, all of those distractions seem a lot more important that the fact that you allowed them to affect you. So I would say they're not that important. I know right now, like, especially as teenage girls, um, boyfriends and uh, going out with friends and maybe neglecting your workouts a little bit, especially in a time like this when it's really easy to do it, um, might seem like it's okay, but everything comes to a head at the end and you don't want to be in the same like situation where I was, where you have to feel that disappoint and regret because that's the worst possible feeling you could feel at the end of the day, regretting that you didn't take advantage of your opportunities when they were given to you. Yeah. We're going to cut that little part of this clip. I mean, that's fantastic. I, mean, I fully agree with you. I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things I was just listening to an interview with Sean White, the, the snowboarder, and he was saying, you know, one of the things I've never understood is when people finish second, they all are in parties. Like, how do they know that that those that workout that they missed to go to that party wasn't the one that, that kept them back from getting first the next time? And he's like, I, I could never do that. He's like, I, I used to work out after we won because I wanted to make sure that, you know, it happened again. I like winning. He's like, I want to do it again every time. So great, great, great advice there. Now, you know, well, that thing I ask people is what, what's what's one piece of adversity you had to overcome to get to where you are today? You know, you mentioned a few of them, but what would be if you had to, pick one specific one, uh, even some maybe that you didn't say already, that you had to overcome to get to the place that you are today? Um, you know, I think probably the biggest one that I didn't mention, because it seems like it's kind of um, self-explanatory, but uh, would be where I came from. I mean, from Canada, it's not, you don't get as many opportunities and you really have to seek them out. Um, fortunately for me, I was surrounded by an amazing culture in my household, in my friends, and all of that, that really allowed me to flourish and focus on the things I needed to focus on. Um, but, you know, we get into this situation where you have to not allow anybody to stand in your way. I mean, whether or not it's your parents, or it's your friends, or it's even yourself, like, choosing to be great is a really difficult choice. I mean, it's hard and it's a good way to get alienated a little bit, even from the people closest to you. But, um, you know, seeking out those opportunities and not being afraid 
um, to stand out and not being afraid to stand up for what your goals are and what you want. I think that is the biggest part because um, in Canada, you know, it's a wonderful place. I love it. I would not choose to be anywhere else, but the culture is a little bit different. In the U.S., it's very about success and achieving and the American dream and all those things. And um, it's easy. It's kind of easier to go after those things without that judgment or without those um, some people saying, well, no, like be a part of the team, be a part of this. And really deciding to be great and not allowing anybody to stand in your way is probably the biggest part of um, growing up and becoming successful, I think. Yeah, for sure. One, one of the things, last thing I'm going to leave you with is, you know, following you on social media, uh, you know, loosely, he, he, there's there's a couple of people that have kind of had a big impact on your life. So obviously Neil Brown, uh, we're going to just quickly touch on three people real quick. Neil Brown, uh, Gabe Gibbs, um, and then Chris Hansen. I've seen, I've seen a lot of stuff with you and, and these guys. So, you know, these are three very strong characters. They're three very uh, high quality people. I personally enjoy speaking with all three of them. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about each of them and what they kind of meant towards you and your journey. Um, so Coach Brown and Coach Veal at Brookswood, um, I mean, allowed me to flourish. I think um, Coach Brown will even say this himself. A lot of the times he just sat back and watched and he let me um, be the player I needed to be. And I think without somebody who really allowed me to take control of my own path and somebody who not only allowed that, but also opened up the avenues for me to do that by opening the gym, by giving me those um, opportunities to get extra work in in the weight room, all those things. Um, there's no way that I could have achieved that without his support. So um, before even everything blew up, like he is a really big part of my foundation of basketball. Um, Gabe Gibbs is like family. I mean, he lived with us for a while. Um, when he moved from Detroit, he met my mom in college when she went back to school and he was playing basketball there and he said he really wanted to get out of Detroit and my family's like, well, come on over. And he's just been a part of my uh, life since then. You know, he is a self-made man for sure. I mean, you see um, what he's done with G2 and um, how he's been a part of a lot of pros development and stuff mainly Metal World Peace over in China and all of that. Um, he's just somebody who kind of switched the way I play basketball a little bit to be more fluid, to be a little bit more shifty because he does work with those pros. Um, so he kind of trains me like I'm a guy. And that is something that I think every girl needs somebody to train them like a guy because we, we need to move a little bit more quickly, a little bit more fluid. And he's somebody who, uh, you know, really helped me with that. And then Chris Hansen, another person who's just like family. I think he left ESPN and started uh, Elite Zern and Prospect Nation. And I was at his very first um, camp, which had 16 girls. I just worked another camp a couple weeks ago in San Antonio, and there was 130 girls in the gym. Yeah, but it's Texas. So, <laughs> um, you know, you can't, I don't know what more to expect from Texas, right? But, you know, no fans or anything, um, just the girls in there. But, you know, he is – he, you know, really helped me in my development as a younger player, but also in the way I was able to be recruited, interact with coaches. And he really is that middleman between them that really is able to – it's like a matchmaker. Like, he is able to find the perfect place for you and put you in contact with them. And, you know – Without him, I don't think my recruiting would have been as big as it is. Um, and 
he really is just like family. I'm working with him on a bunch of other camps and I think we're trying to work on like a clothing line together. So uh, that really is all three of those people are just like the biggest part of my basketball experience and uh, just like family for me. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you coming out today. It's very exciting. I've, uh, I've always, you know, I've had to coach against you a little bit. Um, I've had to watch you play and watch you grow as a, as a young kid to, to who you are today. It's been very cool. It makes me feel very old, uh, actually. So I, thanks for that. Um, but I know, you know I'm 22 it, now. Yeah, I know. I know. I believe it. So the it, well, watching the process happen has been has been fun, and seeing you achieve your, your goals has been fun. I I, I kind of you know same with you. I, I was. I was ready to see in the NCAA tournament didn't happen, but you know what? One closed door equals another open door. And I think you're going to have a very much success going forward. And I'm excited to see it. So say hi to your parents for me. Um, and we'll see you soon. I will. Thank you so much for having me.